Welcome to the Overchlorinated Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Albright. Our guest this week is Alyssa Magram of Collins Hope. For those who don't know Alyssa, she's probably one of the most important people in water safety right now. She started out as a volunteer for Collins Hope, then got hired as their executive director, and has turned them into the, probably the most prominent of the parent-founded drowning prevention groups. The remarkable thing that she's done is bridge the gap in communication between the drowning prevention groups and the aquatic professionals. Before we used to, we would talk at each other or past each other and, and the aquatic professionals would be like, hey, you need to watch your kids. And the drowning prevention groups would be like, hey, lifeguards need to do their job. And so she has reached out. She speaks at all the conferences now. There's not a conference that doesn't happen without Alyssa Magram. And so, and she also helps give focus to the drowning prevention groups when they pop up. And it's been a really remarkable journey to watch. I've known her for a long time now. And I remember Collins Hope before she got hired. So it's been really fun to watch. Alyssa, when she asked me what we were going to talk about, I said, well, we're going to talk about everything. And she came prepared. So the the talking was a mile a minute. And at times even, I think we got off our mics a little bit. And so there's a couple times where it's a little uh, lower, the volume is a little lower. But it was a really interesting conversation. It was good to catch up with her. And without further ado, here's the conversation with Alyssa Magram of Collins Hope. All right, we're going to get started here. Welcome to episode two of the Overchlorinated Podcast. Our guest this time is Alyssa Magram of Collins Hope. She is the executive director, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad it's episode two. Two is my lucky number, so um, that works out well. Talk about how you got started as the executive director of Collins Hope. Sure. So Colin Holst was a local to Austin four-year-old who drowned in a lifeguarded pool in June of 2008. Uh, My daughter, Ella, who's now about to be a sophomore at Lake Travis High School, was in the same preschool where Colin was. And um, I received a phone call from the owner of the preschool because I worked at another nonprofit, Communities and Schools of Central Texas. They do dropout prevention. Um, And I worked with lots of social workers and counselors. And so I got a call on a, a Saturday from the owner of the preschool, and he said, we had a student drown yesterday, and our teachers are a mess. Can you help us rally some counselors or some social workers or something to come debrief the, the teachers? Yeah. And I didn't know anything about anything except that, yes, rallied some, some of my friends to go over and work with the teachers and then suddenly had a parental wake-up call, I like to call it, as um, my daughter was three at the time, Colin was four, and got this whoa, drowning. I like You think about all these things as a parent. You think about car safety and car seat safety and sleep safety and bike helmets and all that yeah. stuff, but I really hadn't thought about drowning prevention. And we live by the lake. We swim all the time. I'm a competitive triathlete. So for me, it was suddenly this, whoa, I need to, there's something else I need to think about. So that was June 2008. Fast forward three months and um, Colin's parents, Jeff and Jana Holst, and some other friends and family formed Colin's Hope in August. So three months after Colin drowned, they quickly formed Colin's Hope and really didn't know what they were going to do as an organization. It was a, oh my gosh, we learned that drowning is the number one cause of unintentional injury-related death for children under five. We just lost our son, who was four, and it was preventable. And they formed it with really, I mean, 
Jeff, Colin's dad, is a computer programmer. Jana's a pharmaceutical sales rep. Didn't know what they were going to do. And, sure. and so that became the organization started. And I lived in that community. So I just started volunteering because I had heard when Colin drowned. So I just started volunteering in the, in the very early days, playing water safety bingo at a, I remember we had a, uh, an event at our restaurant in Westlake and yeah. playing water safety bingo. And I think um, Ian Crocker was there and the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary tying knots. It was just like a awareness, water safety awareness kinds of thing. Sure. And then they started the kids triathlon just as a way to raise some money. And I'm a triathlete, so that sounded like a great thing to volunteer for. So that started and just kept going in about two and a half years in to the organization's formation. So in the fall of 2010, they decided, the board decided they wanted to hire an executive director to really make a bigger impact and, and have sure. a real plan of what they were going to do yeah. um, and, and felt like they needed a person who was doing that full time to, to get it organized. And that was my background. I'd been a nonprofit for, at that point, about 15 years, and I'd just gotten a master's degree in organizational leadership and ethics and had been at my job for a decade and was kind of looking for a new challenge. So I did a very felt a little irresponsible at the time, which has left a job that had really great benefits and a 401k. <laughs> and I had a child who was in kindergarten at the time and, but really felt driven to help Collins hope get onto sure. some sort of path. And, um, and they needed that. So I would teach over at UT with Kim Tyson mm -hmm. and he was, I don't know if he was directly involved or sort of evolved as an advisor, just like knew some mm -hmm. people and he may have been the expert on their, on the court case there. I'm not sure we would talk and I would be like, I really don't understand what their educational platform is. Mm -hmm. They're, they're against drowning and they have triathlons. Right. And I remember like early on when you got started and y'all were doing these events, you were, uh, sanctioning a lot of stuff through masters. Like they would go swim mm -hmm. out on the lake or whatever. And so I would hear about this stuff because of that. But I was like, where's the drowning prevention stuff? And that's the, what you brought into that. Right. Well, I remember, and this is funny because, again, my background's in nonprofit management, not water safety and drowning prevention at that time. So I had to learn that piece. But I remember going to Jeff, Colin's dad, on my like second day of work yeah. and said, okay, well, we need a strategic plan. Like, I'm not doing this job if we don't have a strategic plan. And I remember him saying to me, okay, go write one and come back and the board will look at it and approve it. And I was like, nope. Nope, that's not really how we're going to do this. The board's going to be part of that, and and we and we're going to put some resources behind developing a real strategic plan because my and again my background in nonprofit management that's your map that's your blueprint for sure. what are you going to do and how you're going to do it and how you're going to measure it to make sure that what you're doing works. So we hired at the time it was Green Lights now they're called Mission Capital but they're a great supporter of nonprofits in Central Texas um, to help us develop a strategic plan. And we spent the board, we spent two days and sequestered, I think in a conference room at the YMCA in <laughs> Southwest Austin um, and came up with a strategic plan and, and decided that, you know, we're going to do these things and parent and caregiver education and child education around yeah. water safety. were really, um, if you've ever read that book, good to great, uh, it's a business book that talks about what, what makes companies great versus just good. Yeah. And there's a concept in the book called the hedgehog principle. And the hedgehog principle, so hedgehogs are good at one thing, and that's protecting themselves. And they used to own one, a hedgehog. So that's pretty true. They puff up and protect themselves. Yeah. And so the hedgehog principle is about getting 
picking what you're good at, what okay. you have passion around, and what you can get resources for, and doing that 85% of the time. Okay. Then 15% of the time, you can do other stuff. But this, the hedgehog, we determined that our hedgehog at Collins Hope was parent and caregiver education about what they can do to keep their children and their families safer around water. Sure. And then child education. How do we teach young kids from the ground up, just like we would teach you know, a child not to touch a hot stove or to put a you know, buckle them in their car seat or put a bike helmet on or look both ways before they cross the street. How do we teach good water safety behaviors and create those from the ground up? And so we decided that's what we're going to be good at. That's what we can do. And let's do that. So that was probably the 2011 because I started December 13th, 2010. Sure. Okay. And it took us, you know, six months to get the strategic plan going. And at the same time, we were still having the kids trough on because that's a very mission-driven oh, fundraiser. And, and, yeah, yeah. And you donated lifeguard them. stands. I remember. I think in the very, I think we borrowed lifeguard stands so or wait, something. But that was for the turkey trot parade. Oh, really? I think. Oh so. no, it was for the marathon, the Austin marathon, because we were a charity okay, of the Austin right. marathon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we was. still are. We still are have a water stop. Okay, I remember yeah. when you. I remember. I remember saying, it was being get winter. Get these lifeguard and, stands from Brian Albright. It was like, what? Okay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, and that's the first time I met Jeff. Okay. Is he came over to pick one up, and I think they called Kim, and Kim was like, "Hey, can you, you got any?" <laughs> so funny. And you know, in the summer we've got we're all they're all filled, right? But in the winter, when it's really slow, we're open. Or we were so when I was at Western right. Hills. Yeah. Uh, I'm not there anymore, obviously. Yeah, we would we'd have a lifeguard stand lying around, and he'd come over, put it in the pickup truck, and we'd get it back the next day or whatever. Yeah, but, but that and that was for so it, the Austin Marathon. Each water stop is managed by a nonprofit, and yeah. so that was a funny story because I managed a marathon team for my old charity and hooked up with Colin's aunt Jeff's sister Karen to create um, the Collins Hope Running Buddies in the very early days, and yeah. they got to be a charity. And we're still one of the charities of the Austin Marathon, so that's okay. you know awesome. But but so we do you know we still did the the kids triathlon, which this year is a little different. We're still doing it, but it's virtual. We had to change it to virtual. But this is the twelfth annual nice. kids triathlon, and um, it's a very you know it's definitely a revenue generator. A little yeah. worried about that this year. But it's also a really mission-driven event. We have 400 kids ages 5 to 15 and their families who sign up, come swim, bike, run. Some of them raise pledges, but they're all educated about water safety. So for us, that event is about talking to the families that participate and the kids and modeling like in the swim of that kid's triathlon. They can wear a life jacket if they need to. We've got lifeguards in the pool, out of the pool, just we try to make the swim well the whole thing, but the swim piece a very safe and uh, make it a good experience for them. And so we still do that kids triathlon, but again that's kind of outside of the hedgehog. That is one of the things that's probably in the well. It's I guess it's in the eighty five percent of because we're still educating. We'd always had a partnership with the YMCA in Austin. I think that was one of the very first phone calls that Jeff made after Colin drowned was. Okay. Hey, you do swim lessons. Can we sponsor some swim lessons? And we've had a relationship with them for since the beginning. And we used to sponsor their Project Safe program, which was where they took first graders out of the school day, took them to the Y for swim lessons, eight swim lessons, and then they would cycle through an entire you know first grade at one school, and then they do first grade, and they had it going on. And we used to sponsor swim lessons, and that was great in the early days. But I remember calling up Andrew Wiggins at the Y and saying, Hey. 
why are we not doing water safety education alongside the swim lessons? Like, it's great that we're getting them to the pool to swim. Yeah. But what about teaching them to wait for a grown-up and teaching them, you know, that grown-ups should be watching you and these things that we started realizing were things we wanted to teach kids. And so we started um, develop the very beginnings of a water safety dry land curriculum for young children. And I literally went through and pieced. I mean, I pulled resources from Stewie the Duck, which is another nonprofit that we work yeah. with, and Josh the Otter, the Joshua Collingsworth Memorial Foundation. And I think of who else. It was the Safer Three at the time, and now it's Stop Drowning Now. And so, I mean, I cobbled together a curriculum, and I'm doing air quotes because you can't see me, but um, a curriculum that we could use. Sure. So how it worked in the early days was these kids would get on a school bus, so We'd have two classes of kids. One, they'd get to the YMCA. One class would go to the pool to have their swim lesson. The other group would go to the gym, and they would get a curriculum lesson. Okay. And then halfway through, they'd switch. So the class that was in the pool would come to the gym and vice versa. So they'd get eight swim lessons, and they'd get eight water safety lessons. And over time, we had a, someone who you might know her. Now she's Dr. Kelly Frindell, if you know her. But she was... Um, got her PhD. Oh, sure. She swims at UT, or she used to, and okay. masters, I think. Um, but she literally fell into my lap as uh, she was starting her doctorate and needed a project. And she's a swimmer, so she wanted to do something with water safety. Yeah. And it was the the literally the beginning of when we started delivering this curriculum. And so I met with her. I remember sitting down with her at Central Market on like a Monday, and tried to get an idea of what she wanted to do. And she started talking about being a swimmer, and this was interesting. I'm like, well. I'd really love to evaluate our curriculum and it happens to start on Wednesday. Can you, would you like to do your dissertation on evaluating this curriculum? Because I wanted to make sure that what we were doing was working Sure. because I am a firm believer in changing things if you need to, but don't keep doing something that is not working. And I didn't want us to be doing that. So she said, okay, she signed up and did her PhD, got her PhD and her doctorate evaluating our curriculum and it has since it's a proven curriculum now it's evolved over the years for sure in terms of what it looks like and how it um, it's no longer a cobbled together thing we came up with a very very clear five rules Um, we call them the whole hand rules around water safety for young children and there's lessons and because of this lovely situation we're in right now in the pandemic we have been delivering those lessons online live teaching the lessons on streaming on facebook live we've done 85 different broadcasts since the beginning of the middle of march and some of that's delivering the the curriculum content so yeah we got really clear about what we wanted to do as an organization and the the stuff that we wanted to do i mean there's there's probably 50 plus organizations like collins hope around the country around the world more that are doing drowning prevention, but we really wanted to be organized, professional and be doing something that was proven. And so that's where we're at. So how many of those organizations have like a full-time executive director? Yeah. Um, Let's see. There's probably maybe less than 10 maybe. And we work with them all through um, Families United to Prevent Drowning, which is a group that we co-founded. I helped co-found it with um, a few parents um, of of those organizations. So Blake Collingsworth is one of them from his son was Joshua um, Collingsworth. He drowned in their backyard pool uh, literally like a week, I think as a week, the same week as Colin. It was very, it was very, a lot of these, a couple of these organizations, their children drown 
literally within weeks of one another. And okay. I think they then all started the organizations. Um, but we that was about the time you started to see them pop up, also because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not saying there's not any that are older. The all of a sudden, the they duck, were, it was like yeah. boom. Well, and I think that it was, it's very weird. There's a couple, um, because of Braden, which is in North Carolina, the Josh the Otter, Collins Hope, Abby's Hope, the Zach Foundation, who all, who all started around all that same time. And it really was, I think it was, um, you know, came out of a, those, the family organizations, just, I think the NDPA, the National Drowning Prevention Alliance was, you know, getting a little bit more organized and, and doing their thing, and, and the families just started working together. And we finally decided, I remember sitting in a at, in Colorado Springs at a conference with some of the other family, um, some of the family members, and saying, why are we not working more together? I mean, we're all doing, obviously everyone is doing their work in honor or celebration of, of the child or the person. And so that's a hard thing because Colin's Hope is, Colin's hope because of Colin and Abby's hope is Abby's hope because of Abby. But so there was that piece that, you know, we all need to be honoring and creating those legacies, but why don't we work together and stay in our lane, so to speak? So for example, um, when I talk about our hedgehog, I know what we do really well. And there's a number of the family foundations now that use our curriculum or that have our curriculum and they use it, or we distribute water safety cards, 75,000 of them every year to parents and caregivers. And about 13 of the organizations um, use the template that we have for that water safety card and they put their child's story on the back of it. And that's been a tool that we developed, but that works. So, but to your question about how many have paid, paid staff or yeah. executive directors, there's less than 10. Okay. And, and there's like a level of sophistication. If you look at it like a spectrum, I mean, there are certainly, the organizations that are able to fund a, a staff person, you know, that that adds resources and bandwidth. Sure. And there's a lot of amazing families that are just parents that are out there trying to um, have what what happened to them not happen to someone else. And so, um, you know, there's different levels of sophistication based on you know what resources. Sure. And we're certainly on the higher level of sophistication, I think, just because we do have three right now, we have three paid staff. Really? And, okay. and close you, okay. and close to 3,000 volunteers. And, I mean, we're small but mighty, we like to say, especially right now yeah. we're having to be really scrappy. But we have we have probably more staff than most of the organizations, and we're, that allows us to do more and make a bigger impact. Yeah. I didn't know the timeline on, like, the others coming around. All mm-hmm. of a sudden it seemed like, oh, there's Abby's Hope. There's, I think we got organized. And, and well, yeah. and, and – you just, I think, kind of came along at the right time because I was at NDPA probably about 05 or so. They ho- Kim hosted it here in Austin. Mm-hmm. There was all these people coming together, but I was, it was like, okay, are they really talking to each other or are they just mm-hmm. sort of coming together and doing presentations? And um, mm-hmm. uh, I think they were trying to figure out their mission or how to, as you said, bring everyone together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know at that time if how... I mean, I know Kim Hodges uh, was, you know, she lost her son, Brandon, okay. and she's part of Families United, and she was one of the founding board members of NDPA. But, D&D Technologies, um, maybe? Or? No, she okay. she was in California. Now she lives here in, um, she actually lives outside Waco okay. now, but when her son drowned, she was in um, California. And she, so she, I know, was a parent. He there was, was on, but there was early on, there was a there was a group that was definitely like a big like 
Magna Latch and some That's, of the others. D&D is still really or, involved yeah, with um, there NDPA. Was a, there was a couple of parents around who I think were working for some of those companies okay. also. You come along, like you said, you, you didn't have the water safety background part, but you have the organization mm-hmm. part. And that's what's been really amazing to watch. Having you out when I was over at Western Hills, Mm -hmm. coming out to the end services, hey, come swim with the lifeguards. Not just come talk to the lifeguards. Come swim with the lifeguards. Come see if you can get a bit of what it is to sit on the lifeguard stand, Mm -hmm. swim with them, do the rescues. And um, you remember the blindfold rescue? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yep. And I think I was a victim at some point in one of the drills. Maybe. For those listening... The blindfold idea was an idea that I got from Jim Wheeler out in California, but we had both been trained by John Hunsucker at some point and worked with John. And you know what Ellison Associates is. Mm-hmm. So NASCO was around before Ellison Associates, but NASCO didn't certify before Ellison Associates. John was running NASCO, and, and uh, they were a bunch of Red Cross volunteers and stuff like that. They were a bunch of paddlers, all like PhD, super smart guys. And Ellis is working for Red Cross, and he comes along, and, and they found Ellis. Well, all these people in the Houston area sort of latched onto that movement, and, and then that movement grew. So you know Vera and mm-hmm. College Station, who's now with uh, Texas Ty- Typhoon. Typhoon, Texas. Typhoon, yep. Texas. So all those people, they were like part of a movement. And so John brought his industrial engineering background, the whole modify to make it work thing, just throwing crazy stuff at people. And so when Wheeler says, hey, we're going to put blindfolds on you and go get a go get a victim. The whole idea of that specific thing is you got a rescue tube. You hear them splashing around. There's really not a whole lot they're going to do to you that is going to endanger you. You know, you can go and make the mm-hmm. rescue. But it just goes back to that mentality of, you know, do what you need to do to make the rescue and really don't be afraid of anything. But I remember putting the blindfold mm-hmm. on you and you were just kind of like, yeah, I don't know about this. <laughs> but but you know what? I love those kinds of experiences because I will tell you how much better I feel like I can do my job. Sure. I spent a year cleaning pools during okay. this. Uh, you know, I had a friend, Patty Sue Wilson, who owned a company, Radiant Pools and Dripping Springs. And she was going through some health stuff. And she, I said, well, I can help you. I'll help you one day a week clean some pools. And yeah. Thinking to myself, you know, be outside, manual labor, I'm good, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and then also, when I got into it, I did it for a year. I was going to do it for a few months, and then I got, it was just, I liked it because it was a little laboratory. So sure. I could go into people's backyards as the trusted pool person and see their behaviors. So okay. I could see, are people leaving toys in the pool? Are people leaving their gates propped open? Or what are the behaviors that people, because in Texas, we 50%... Every year, 50% of the kids that we lose to preventable drownings happen in pools, and most of those are backyard pools. And so backyard pools, I needed, I felt like I needed to understand what was happening. What are people doing? How do I talk to people about, hey, that Shamu, the whale thing that you you throw in your pool and you leave it in there? When you have a toddler who gets out, they want to get, you know, they get out the back door. They want to. So similarly, I love the lifeguard in services and getting to experience that because the audiences that I talk to are parents and caregivers, children and aquatic professionals and lifeguards are part of that. So if I can understand um, more what they're doing in their job, I remember actually asking some of your lifeguards at that, I think it was that particular training. If you could tell me 
like something that I can share with parents and caregivers or with kids about what would make your job easier. Yeah. What would that be? And I will never forget one of this 18 year old ish lifeguard said, tell them we're not babysitters. Yeah. And we, we, we're trained to rescue. We're not trained to babysit. And I've used that line so many times in interviews and talking with parents and caregivers because um, so me walking the walk or whatever it is and getting getting in there and like living some of this stuff that's in the aquatic world helps yeah. me better do my job. Well, and your willingness to do that is so NDPA got canceled this year or it got it went virtual this year. Oh yes. Uh, did you do one? I don't remember if you oh, were on there. Oh, I not. did two I did two presentations okay. and then I also ran the networking uh, virtual networking thing. So that was okay. a very busy busy week. Yes. Okay. Yep. And I know Kim was all of a sudden mm-hmm. like pulled in on some things too that I did I did I was already doing one and then yeah. I got asked to do I was on the host committee cuz okay. it was in Texas yeah. anyway. And um, then I was asked to do a second one. So I did two presentations and then um, helped Melissa Sutton from Arizona. We did these every day, these virtual networking things, which is actually awesome. So as you get into Zoom and you have breakout rooms and we had like 50 or 60 people in there every morning and had a different theme and got it was it was really it was really cool. And actually, one of the guys that was in one of those networking things is in North Carolina and he's with um, Oh, I'm going to screw it up. It's a technology where it helps find. Um, so if you it, find victims in dark water, so it's yeah. a, it's a like a handheld device. It's not angel eye, but it's something, and I don't want to screw it up, but I just did. But anyway, that guy was in one of my networking things. And I was listening to him and, and he was, you know, on the broadcast or on the virtual thing from North Carolina. And then this week they had a, um, a drowning in that area and in, in the outer banks in North Carolina. Oh, really? And I saw a whole article about him and how he was called to take that device down and they it was a rec- it was a recovery by sure. the time but but they found um the person immediately yeah. when he brought so that was just like a wow i would never i probably would never have met that guy if we had done the conference in person so there was a lot of um there were some silver linings to that going virtual so my talk was supposed to be like for years I, and, and this has always been my frustration talking to kim about all this mm-hmm. the drowning prevention groups go lifeguards need to do their job and then the lifeguards be like, we're not babysitters. Right. Like, you know, when I did the talk last time, it was in the Dallas area. Mm-hmm. That was about five years ago. Something like five that. Five or six. I don't remember what I titled it, but it was something that was more more proper name and not, you know, oh, that'll bring them in. Right. And Wheeler looks at it and he goes, you need to title that Don't Trust the Lifeguard. And so that's what it was this year. And uh-huh. it was understanding different systems out there and the different tools and, and um, the way that they're run for private and uh-huh. public and water parks and everything else so that we know how to talk to each other and you come along and you're actually willing to get in and learn sort of what it is to be and not just taking the class. Cause that's one of the things that always frustrates mm-hmm. me when you talk to the drowning prevention people is I, I read the textbook or I went and took a class. Mm-hmm. I understand what it is to be a lifeguard. And it's like, no, you really don't. Mm-hmm. It's it's harder than you think it is. Oh, I, it's it's even the the sheer boredom of it sometimes uh, yeah. makes it much harder than you think it is. Like we need to understand that we need to do our job mm-hmm. better, and then it's the parent side. Hey, watch your kids. And one of the things that I mentioned this year is, you know, the parents will bring their kids to the pool, and then they'll sort of the parents kind of congregate and let the kids run mm-hmm. around. And if you've got a daycare that comes to the pool, oh. 
mm-hmm. there's mandates for adult Ratios, per kid, yep. and they're supposed to be watching the kid. And when you have the drowning at the public pool, when it's the daycare mm-hmm. center at the public pool, there's always, well, the person who was supposed to be watching the one to eight kids or one to 10 mm-hmm. kids wasn't actually doing that. They were taking their break mm-hmm. and congregating in the bathroom or locker room, whatever. And in a daycare center, you've got to watch, you know, five to t- anywhere from five to 10 kids, mm-hmm. depending on how, what the ages are and stuff. But we'll in put 40 kids in the pool mm-hmm. for a single lifeguard, not to do drowning prevention, but to do kid management. Mm-hmm. Right. You're managing behavior. And then you actually sometimes have parents actively work against the lifeguard. And it's like, oh. Well, it's interesting. So you're talking about this, the session that you would have, you would were going to do. And yeah. so I have done, and I've done it at the AOAP. I've done it at NDPA. I've done it at... Um, NRPA, all and these, this all these is things. another thing where you're sort of a, a trailblazer is that we got you in to be a room host, at the first AOAP. Mm-hmm. And then you've been there ever since. Mm-hmm. And I was actually told, um, I'm not, I, I was actually told to not submit a session back in the early days because aquatic professionals didn't want to talk to drowning prevention organizations. And I actually took that as a challenge. Nice. And I said, I'm going to submit a session. There you go. And now that was seven, maybe seven or eight years ago. And now I, we have the greatest relationship with AOAP. Julene has been amazing in terms of supporting the work she and I did. um, They helped sponsor a, a lifeguard in service training that I just did. And they helped promote it. Um, they have become one of our greatest partners, but that wasn't, that's a, like a success story. But I took that on as a, you know what, that's a challenge yeah, to me. Did, that's so that's the conversation yeah. that I've always wanted to have happen. Yep. And we didn't see that before. And we get you in as a room host and then you're coming back and you're submitting. And I don't think there's a conference that happens nowadays unless you're. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that because it was very mindfully done. And yeah. I, I could have gotten really pissed off when I was told that and to not submit. And, and, you, and you didn't come to just one session that first year. No. You were, I know you. you. I was on the host committee. You, you were remember? on the host committee. Yeah, yeah, no. Because you were the like, head of it. I was the chair. Yeah. And so you were there all day. You mm-hmm. were like, hey, this is free education. I'm going to. I want to learn. You wanted okay. to learn. I think you hosted Peter Davis's. Yep. You hosted Kim Tyson's. I don't remember who else. I think Kim and I actually did a session, kind of a little tag team in that, in that session that okay. year. I don't think I was the official. The way that I navigate the world, the way that I navigate life, and the way that I navigate my profession is that authentically. And yeah. I know that I don't, I didn't know. I didn't know how this aquatic, like, industry worked. You also show worked. up at, like, TPPC totally. and the CTAA, the Central Texas Aquatics Association and... Is there even a Central Texas Water Safety Coalition anymore? Well, it is now called the Central Texas Drowning Prevention Action Team. Okay. And we hosted a roundtable in October with um, the Zach Foundation, which is another group that we work with through Families United to Prevent Drowning. They're in um, in the Northeast. Yeah. There, Zachary Cohn, um, they lost him to a drowning when his arm got entrapped in the backyard pool um, drain. Okay. And we work with them. They do water safety camps with the Boys and Girls Clubs and... Um, they had hosted what they were calling a round table in their area, and then they hosted one in Chicago to gather people from the you know the water safety community in those areas to come up with a real action plan, a drowning prevention action plan. And so I work very closely with them. So um, 
Megan Ferraro, who's their executive director, yeah. reached out and said, "Hey, if we do one of those in Austin, would you can we would you basically chair it or whatever?" And yeah. I was like, "Absolutely!" And I'm the vice president of the Safe Kids Austin board, and so that was a conversation we had been having at Safe Kids was that we wanted to ramp up a water safety coalition or something because it's been through various iterations of existence and non-existence and yeah. whatever. And so we hosted this roundtable in October. We had about close to 75 people. That was the room held that um, the, at the United Way e here in East Austin and um, got people together and organized around four different work groups. And then we have four work groups that are now working in education, outreach, policy and advocacy, um, infrastructure and or the fourth one is some around swim lessons and and we've got people working, but that was kind of what the Central Texas um, Water yeah. Safety Coalition was once, you know, once was, and that kind of faded out. Just it's always a leadership thing. Like it's it's yeah. it's it's a struggle. It's hard to have those task forces in those groups. But um, like a big win that we just had from this drowning prevention action team is if you I don't know if you get an Austin utility bill, but if you get an Austin utility bill this month in July. Uh, you will see the Collins Hope water safety quiz at the bottom of it, a big, huge banner at the bottom that is from our Drowning Prevention Coalition, the Central Texas Drowning Prevention Action Team. It's the longest thing ever. <laughs> but it went out to 410 households in 410,000, yeah. sorry, 410,000 households in the Austin area. And that was that group put that, got okay. was able to get that. But, um, but your point in, I will put myself at any table that, people will allow me to be at sure. in this space because I do feel like for Collins Hope to have a voice, we have programs that work, we have um, resources that people can use. And that's the only way to know what's going on and to, to help with real change is to be at the table. And it is a, well, now it's a lot of zoom meetings, but it's in the <laughs> real world. It's a lot of, you know, meetings and being in those yeah. spaces, but that's, you know, that's my wheelhouse, so to speak, because I know that I know that I can make more change or we can do more together. All the groups that are working together from at those tables versus standing at a table, handing out information. There's, yeah. you know, we have 4,000 volunteers or 3000 volunteers that help us do those kinds of things. But I want to do the high level strategic stuff and sure. be the organization that you know, people like you who have been professionals in aquatics forever look to and say, wow, Collins Hope is like legit and genuine. And, oh, absolutely. And, and that's, yeah. I'm glad that that comes clear. Cause I mean, I, sometimes I have, I'm so deep in it that it is like, <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll go do the, I'll go to, there's another podcast that's in the industry, the pool chasers. They're more in like the pool service side of things, okay. but um, they're in Arizona. And I went to do that podcast and we talked about the you know pool industry, pool service companies, you know, pool builders and pool maintenance companies. And that's a, that's an area that we play in because those are the people that are in people's backyards. And so I think it's one of the strengths of Collins Hope. And certainly I think it's, I do think it's one of my strengths is to look to where do we need to be to make the biggest impact yeah. and get into those groups. And sometimes it is like saying, okay, you don't want us there, but guess what? I'm going to show up there yeah. and, and you can make change. And I feel like there is a huge shift in the groups working together. There's still a lot of, there's still a lot of work to do. The AOAP conference, I know this last year, um, Drennan's Dreams presented, and that's um, there, Bill Amelia. That's been an, another interesting mm -hmm. evolution. Bill came across early on as really angry. He came to Austin a year and a half ago. Two we hosted years. him, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get in on that meeting when he when y'all were yep. 
but I went to the presentation and then talked with him at dinner that night when we all went to dinner. And then I've had some back and forth with him on and off since then. And we were talking a bunch before NDPA this year mm-hmm. about, one, what are we doing with our presentations right. now that we're yeah. doing? Right. One of the things that I love that he's doing is the work with uh, Maria. Is that, is that her oh, name? Oh, mm-hmm. I can't remember about her name, isn't it? the difficulty of spotting someone mm-hmm. in the water. Again, I, I'm going to sound like a bro- broken record over this podcast over time, is Hunsucker was talking about that 30 years ago mm-hmm. or more. Did, you know, has done some studies and stuff like that. And I sat in on the AOAP one. Mm-hmm. They were going to be split at NDPA, and I was hoping to make the, the split presentations also. But I went to the one, and it was one of the best presentations at a- AOAP. Mm-hmm. And she gets up there, and she goes here's the studies that came before us. And she hit one study and then she hit, I think another study and then she hit Hunsucker's study. And she goes at the end of Hunsucker's study, he says, there are three or four things that we didn't address here that someone else needs to pick up on. And we looked at it and we, we decided to pick up this one and that's what her research Mm, is. mm -hmm. People are starting to look at that now. And Hunsucker has looked at the psychology of the lifeguard. He also has looked at just the technical aspects of Mm -hmm. like the engineering of the eye and how hard it is to see someone in the water. And so the fact that Drennan's dream, which has that visibility, I I guess they're, they're out there in the public. He's on the red cross video there. Well, and the, and the, the watching them. So it's an amazing story because I love, to work with Bill and yeah. Melissa Drennan's mom, uh, Bill. I've not met her, but okay, he's a good she's, guy. Bill's, I mean, salt of the earth, amazing. And when you, we you know when you first, I think probably saw him speak. I mean, the grief is that's something that is oh. on the on the processing yes. of the grief. I mean, that's something with working with parents, and I have worked with so many now that you know watching them evolve and go through the grief process. Sure. And Bill is a really great example of you know, sure he was probably angry in the beginning because he. Lost oh, his son, I'm not right? He didn't have a oh, right no, no, no. to be. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. but watching him grow, and yes, I've done some work. Absolutely. They now have an executive director, Scott Henderson, who's great. Okay. But I, they brought me out to probably this was maybe three years ago. They brought me out to Colorado, and I stayed with Bill and Melissa in their house, and yeah. went to their board meeting and and talked with them about the evolution of Collins Hope and how we went from not having a staff person to having an executive director, and sort of helped them navigate that process of bringing someone on and then also you know had worked with bill we've co-presented together um i think the first time he ever came to the aoap we co-presented together it was in san antonio um it might have been tppc so maybe it was tppc it was that's right because i had dinner with him then too yep and um yeah i have a funny story about about that anyway um he, he I'm going to, I'm going to tell it because it's funny. It's just like a, it's a podcast. So Bill flies into San Antonio. He's going to hurt me for telling this story, but he flies into San Antonio and he's not the most technologically savvy guys in construction. He does great stuff, but technology might not be his thing. I think he would own that. And, uh, he went to go, um, get the Uber app on his phone to get from the airport to the hotel. And he inadvertently signed up to be an Uber driver. And so he, <laughs> so Bill texted me and he said, hey, I think I just got to the hotel, but apparently I'm an Uber driver now. I don't know how this happened, but it was a really funny story. But that was the first. Um, yeah, so give him, next time we talk to him, ask him if he's still driving for Uber. I'm, but, just, I'm going to ask him for a ride. Yeah, perfect. We co-presented at that um, yeah. at that conference. And I think that was right when they, the Red Cross 
um, they were putting Drennan's story in the in the video, that's, and that was right. a huge thing yeah. for for Drennan's dreams. And and that's where those opportunities that come up for um, organizations like ours, something like that, can then sort of catapult you into being being more visible. Um, yeah. But I've watched them evolve and watched their presentations evolve, and it's amazing. And and they're such a force for sure. And the obviously in the lifeguard realm and yeah. you know colin and drennan both drowned in lifeguarded pools and so that's that's originally why we started working together i still want to do more with them because colin was four and drennan was 12 you know and he was so their stories are different and, and, and drennan's story is a lot different in that mm -hmm. he was 12 yeah um and a he, swimmer a competitive swimmer so a, a summer league swimmer yep. uh yep. definitely knew how to swim the reason he was seen as a, a little too angry i think was because he was coming to the aquatic professionals and say, do your job. And some of these aquatic mm -hmm. professionals were guys who'd been around mm -hmm. for 10 and 20 and 30 years going, hey, the reason like I'm going to die of a heart attack is because <laughs> I work too hard at this already. Right. And so the other thing that I would like to see is like stay at AOAP. Stay at mm -hmm. TPPC. Stay I already at, submitted my presentation for AOAP. Have for you? The, yes, I already did. Uh, I need, I'm, I'm still trying <laughs> to figure out. And a very long one. It's like the four-hour, three-hour one, which I did this year, and I thought, there is no way I can fill three hours of time. And it was amazing. Like, well, for me, it was amazing. I don't know. Everybody, I got pretty good reviews, but it was so great because there was a space to actually have conversation. And I did some of the things that I do in my lifeguard and services. So I, I submitted for that long. Did you get the one angry... The, 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 you get those things I know, back, I know. and you, you're like, you get like one person who decides they hate they hated your thing. And I actually, I I don't think I actually had one of those this year. But there someone was someone hated me. Oh, it's always <laughs> gonna happen, man. Like there's, but it's funny to watch it. Mm -hmm. Like you're reading it, and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> or what planet were you on when you were in there? Yeah, were, yeah. And uh, yeah, someone I did mine on the forgotten victim, and it's mm -hmm. the lifeguard helping those lifeguards who've had someone. Oh. Them. and. The, there's the ones who, in Drennan's case, I'm not sure those lifeguards knew that anyone died, like, even after the fact. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, I've listened to his stories. I've talked to him. That's one of the reasons I think we need to talk about the approach to who we're talking to sometimes. But then there's, like, the guards that that happens to them, and they, uh, they never really come back from that. And I know you've been involved in debriefings and things yeah. like that. I remember, I mean, we've done some things together where we've been, I know I've been calling calling people and I, I tend, my phone tends to ring when there's a drowning locally sure. and there, Alyssa, can you help us get some, you know, there was the one in, in Cedar park last year that happened. And I, you know, got a phone call on that one saying yeah. we need to get some debriefing over to the guards. And, um, I mean, that's, uh, there was one in, in South Austin. Yeah. I remember, I think we were both involved in that cause I think you went and so did, um, a counselor. And uh, just those, I think that that is a, yeah. Someone, the lifeguards are not often fully included in the aftermath they're, piece. It, it's, they're, they're sort of left out um, because the family's like, hey, y'all let our kid drown. Mm -hmm. The city's like circling the wagons, mm -hmm. and they don't want to let anybody in. So we don't get to go help the lifeguards sometimes because they're like, we don't want to expand the witness list. Mm -hmm. They're anticipating a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So everything's fine. We did everything right. We, you know, it's, there's no, they're, they're trying to cover their own ass. The city is, or the entity, mm -hmm. whoever, whoever mm -hmm. it was. And so the lifeguards are sort of hung in the middle there. 
where they're like, they're being blamed by the family. And some of those were really bad cases. Mm-hmm. And then you have the, the entity going, hey, the parents should have been watching their kids mm-hmm. or something like that. It'll go two years a lot of times before, sometimes it'll go two years before the, the lawsuit is filed. Mm-hmm. Then it'll be another year or two before the deposition happens. And so they're being reminded of this. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, there's trauma all all yeah. the way around. And it is it's it's a hard one because when it depends on I use the the analogy of like looking through different lenses, right? So if I'm looking through a situation through the family's lens, or if I'm looking through it through the lifeguard lens yeah. or through a bystander, I mean, yeah. I cannot tell you how many people in the decade well, 12 years that I've been affiliated with Collins Hope, but 10 years almost as the executive director of how many people were at the pool the day Colin drowned and who their children saw that happening or their family was there and were impacted. And, and there's so many, one of the things I now do in my lifeguard and services, I talk really, really directly with the lifeguards about like, what if you have a victim on the, on the deck, build a wall like block so that all the people that are there yeah. are not as are, are going to be a little bit protected from having to have that experience. Sure. And certainly the guards in that are definitely, you know, I mean, I, the thing I hate about all of the, all of this, what we're talking about right now is the blame and oh, all yeah. of that, that there's blame and shame. Cause we, cause we don't and, get to help because we're blaming or we're trying right. to deflect blame. And, it, or, and it, you know, if you break it all apart from looking through those lenses, it all ma- it actually all makes sense. If I'm looking at it through the, le- the lens of the parent and what I've experienced, sure. then uh, sure. I, I, it makes sense. If I take off those glasses and I look through the, the, le- the lifeguard or the aquatic professional, and I'm seeing all the things you're talking about, then that makes sense. And I don't even know how to, put all those glasses on at the same time. And I, I don't know if you can, you just yeah. try to have empathy for well, what everyone's going through. And yeah. we don't do that enough. Mm-hmm. I completely understand the anger of someone like Bill uh, or of Jeff or of anybody. And then also there are just places that you go, man, I, I don't even know how y'all operate. And then there's places who operate really well. And sometimes mm-hmm. they just have a really bad day. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that sound trivial when I say a really bad day. That just is. Well, something happens. Something I mean, happens. something happens. Yeah. And that's, that is sadly is, is life, you know? Yeah. And, and this has been, that's been a really, what we're talking about right now has been a really hard thing to stay in this role that I'm in for as long as I have. I mean, yeah. I actually went through secondary trauma counseling last year because of the weight of some of this stuff and uh, on a daily basis and yeah. of, not only just doing this work every single day and there's still children drowning. Yeah. And that is like, why are we not? Why are there still children drowning? We're working like around the clock, literally like that. That's heavy on, on me. And then just the working with the families. I mean, it's, yeah, I'm, I take some of that on. I'm an empath, which is not helpful in this work. And, um, and so it is, and it is, it is a blessing and a curse. It is. Absolutely. Yes. And, but that got, you know, 10 years of doing that last year. I mean, I had a situation I can share it with you if it's, it's kind of an interesting one because it's a, there's an education piece in it, but I was working with a mom. Her name's Deborah Tomlinson, her son, Christopher, um, drowned in their backyard pool. This was about 16 years ago in New Jersey. Um, after his, he, when he learned to swim, he didn't like to put his face in the water. 
So they taught him how to swim with a dive mask okay. on. And he was comfortable putting his face in the water with the dive mask on. But they didn't. And it was just a cheapie that they bought at some store that I'm not going to name. CBS maybe. A store. <laughs> I'm not trying to call out the store. No. I'm just saying. Any, like, any store. Any little that's the thing, child section go of a to, store. Yes, right? exactly. They bought a dive mask, which crappy plastic, like didn't fit. And didn't think to teach him what would happen, what to do if the dive mask filled up with water. Yeah. And if you're a scuba person or anything, I mean, that's the first skill that they teach you when you're getting certified to scuba mm -hmm. is how to clear the water out of a mask. Yeah. So Christopher was six and he was swimming around last day of school. They had a, a, you know people over swim in the pool and his mask filled up with water and he panicked and yeah. um, drowned in their backyard pool in, in his dive mask. And I had been working with his mom last year. Um, to get things going. She had not, well, because of the shame and the blame around that, she had not told Christopher's story for 15 years. Wow. And then she suddenly was like motivated and wanted to. And I happened to meet her. I can't remember how I met her. I think um, a family, a local family who lost their daughter in a backyard pool is friends or childhood friends with her. Somehow, I don't remember how I came in contact with her, but she wanted to start an organization. And so I often get those calls yeah. like so-and-so wants to start a nonprofit. Can you help them? And I do and whatever. And so I had been working with her. She ended up getting this interview on Katie Couric's website. And so I had helped her um, with the questions and, and things like that. So Christopher's story was like in front of my face. I mean, I, and I had never heard that story before of a dive mask and you go to any pool now and you see so many kids wearing those cheapy dive masks. So that's a whole nother thing. But that I, <laughs> that I talked to lifeguards about like you see kids in dive masks pay attention, like yeah. pay attention, just a kind of a, mm, they're wearing that. But anyway, I went to go get my intro to, I went to go to an intro to scuba class in Florida last year. My daughter wanted to get certified. So we go to this class and to make a very long story short, there had been a drowning the day before at the Springs where we were at. So I learned of that right before going into the water to yeah. do my thing. The instructor had then told me that his 18 month old brother had drowned when he was a kid. So I had that kind of right there. And then I get in the water to go get my certification and the first skill you have to work on is like fill up your dive mask with water and clear it out and i panicked i mean i did it okay on the top of the water but then when we went down like 20 feet all i could see was christopher's face i mean in my really? you know because i had his story was so it's giving me chills like yeah and i panicked i mean i i did the i need to go up signal to the instructor and i got up to the top of the water and i took the dive mask off and i just started crying and i'm like okay i think i need to do some stuff for myself to be able to keep doing this work because it's, it's hard. Yeah. And, and so I got myself into the same people that I'd referred the lifeguard debriefing to um, a group out of um, Cedar park called it's Tanya Glenn and associates. And they do a lot of um, uh, trauma for counseling for first responders. So, so after, after the Oklahoma city bombing and nine 11, when, the, when the war started Iraq and mm. I met with her, mm. Okay. Um, because we were, that was, Iraq war started about 03. And we were about, 0, about 04 mm -hmm. or so is when we were starting to do critical incident mm. stress mm -hmm. for yeah. lifeguards. And so I actually did meet with her back in the day. Yeah, she's, uh, I, oh, she's all over. Yeah. It. And I actually didn't, I didn't meet with her, but one of her people, but she immediately, I sent her an email and said, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm not really a first responder, but I'm kind of a secondary responder. And I've been in, she's like, get over here. I needed to do that just because the, I don't know how we got on this, but that's, that's how tangents go. But it was a, it was a, I need to take care of myself cause I want to do this work, yeah. but this work is 
it's hard. It's hard. And especially, you know, now we've been doing pretty well in central Texas this year, but I mean, I track daily the, the, the stats, the drowning sure. child drowning stats, the fatal drownings, cause the non-fatals are so hard to track, but, and you know, I have a, the guy at department of family and protective services who I work with, who he's the one who, um, updates the help and hope.org where they track the child fatal drowning stats. And when I see his phone number on my phone, sometimes yeah. I can't answer it. And he will leave me a voicemail and say, Alyssa, I know you saw that. And I know that, you know, it's me <laughs> yeah. and I am calling to, with another report. And, um, you know, that that's, it's hard, it's hard work. Yeah. And, but it's work that I personally feel very called to do. I didn't ever imagine that I would be this deep in this work. Yeah. Um, you know, my five-year plan, I was going to, you know, get them started. Get, in get, and out. get out. <laughs> Year ten, uh, it'll be a decade of just uh, on December thirteenth, and yeah. you know, I I feel like now I'm in some ways, as you are, an expert in this field in certain places, and I do know that it's time for a cultural shift in water safety. Sure. Just you know that whole like Dana Gage who lost her son Connor to a lake drowning. Um, in the Fort Worth area, she says uh, she wants life jackets on lakes like seatbelts and cars. And it's that the culture, it's time for a cultural shift around water safety. I feel like we're getting closer. I watch people all the time. My undergraduate degree is in sociology. So I like to watch people and I go to lots of pools and lots of lakes and lots of bodies of water. And, and there are, there are more adults staying within an arm's reach. There are more life jackets being worn. I mean, I know, um, we, one of the things Collins Hope does is we help stock life jacket loaner stations at area places. Yeah. So at Lake Travis, and we have one in the city of Lakeway at Lakeway City Park, which is my home park, and I swim there all the time. And um, I stock that life jacket loaner station. And I went down there yesterday to, to film a live thing for the world's largest swimming lesson. And I went down in the morning, rode my bike on my bike route i wanted to see if, if the station needed to be stocked because the lake is getting so much usage right now during this time because everyone's where else are you gonna go right it's hot yeah um and there was only six life jackets on the station which usually there's 25 ish okay and um so people are using them some people are taking them some people are leaving them in places in the park or whatever so i restocked <laughs> it yesterday afternoon but you know what that that means people are wearing them yeah and, and I do see small things. We still have a lot of work to do, but I do see shifts in behaviors. And as we have kids that are growing up in this different culture, my um, program director has a three-year-old. He's about to be three. And his name's Alexander, and he was born into Collins Hope, literally. So, I mean, Jessica Brown is his mom, and she's our program director. And she had him while she was the program director, so he literally – is our mascot. I yeah. mean, I have pictures of him. I made him a onesie that says mascot on the back of it when he was an infant. And he knows all of the whole hand rules that we teach. He knows to wait for a grown up. He's comfortable wearing a life jacket. I have video of him flying a kite at Lakeway city park, wearing a life jacket. Cause we were down there for an event and I'm like, he needs to be in a life jacket all day because if he gets out of reach or something, we're by a lake and yeah. he was comfortable all day wearing that life jacket, flying a kite, eating a cupcake. And it, it was, we, we reflected upon that. And I'm like, he's our hope like that oh, right yeah. there yeah. is what we're looking for. I mean, we're looking for a behavior change and a cultural shift, but it's going to take. You got to do that at us. the kid level. And I, I, I'm older than you. I remember when it was seatbelt. If you went to like McDonald's and you had your seatbelt on, you got like a free cookie right. or something like the, I, I the ice cream cones. They had the best ice cream cones. 
I don't remember what we got, but I yeah. just remember like, hey, I got my seatbelt mm-hmm. on, you know, making a point of that. And that's how you reach those. And I, you see kids nowadays, uh, you know, if I'm in sitting in the backseat of a car, I don't usually think about the seatbelt. Right. But kids nowadays, they oh. hop in and they're in their seat, car seat, and they're... Buckling in? It's it's, it's automatic. Yes. They don't even think about it. Well, and I have a... My daughter is getting her permit. She would have it if we weren't in the situation we're in. The closest appointment I can get is like the end of September. But a given, like she's 15 and she gets in the car. I don't... I never had to ask her, but yeah. I mean, obviously when she was little. But um, you, you just said something that made me think about it. So there's a local organization called Recognize Good. They have a bunch of different programs. One is like legends in the community and they honor people that are legends in the community. So like Jeff and Jana Collins' parents were some of the first legends that they honored. And I had a call this morning with them and they were going to do, and it got stopped up by the pandemic, but they have these things called gratitude coins. And they're like these little coins that are made out of, they come out of one of those plastic printers, 3d printers. So they're that, whatever that plastic stuff is, but they do them for different nonprofits. And the idea is that we, we get like, I don't know, I think 1500 or something, 500 of these coins Different nonprofits use them. You, I would give you a coin saying, you know, thank you, Brian, for asking me to be on your podcast. And you would get the coin. And on the back of it is a little QR code. And if you go follow that code and just log your coin, it gives Collins Hope a $5 donation. Okay. And so anyway, we were in the process of trying to figure out, okay, we have these a generous donor, Tyrex, who was going to donate these to us. What are we going to do with them? And I had come up with this idea of using the coins to reward positive water safety behaviors. And so I had my board all and my staff and some of our volunteers all ready to all summer long to be if we were at the lake or if I was at the pool and I saw a family getting a life jacket off the loaner station, I was going to go give them a water safety, one of these gratitude coins and say, I want to acknowledge your great water safety behavior. Thank you. And whatever. And that was what we were going to do with them is use them in that way to sort of reinforce and, positively acknowledge good water safety behaviors versus, you know, the negative ticket or whatever it is that, you know, and, and I'm bummed because that kind of got stopped up by the pandemic. So we're looking at doing some virtual coins. So my plan of like rewarding those behaviors, (laughs) but I I know when we were at the beach last summer, uh, one of my cousin's kids who are they're they're young, they were probably in second grade at the time they were wearing their bike helmets and they got stopped by the police at the beach in New Jersey and I remember we were, the kids were riding up ahead and we saw the cops stop them. We're like, oh, geez. Like, he was giving them a free ice cream thing because they were wearing their helmets. Okay. Very it's cool. the same. That's, those are the kinds of things. And then similarly, something for adults because I, I think that's a, there's so much in water safety around that's not going to happen to me. Drowning's not going to happen to me. We're fine. We're good. That message isn't for me. We're and seeing I, it now with the, I can't wear a mask. Yeah. Or I'm, Yep. So it's it's an interesting thing, but I do feel like if with the aquatic industry working with the pool industry, meaning like pool builders and yeah, the, that industry, the drowning prevention organizations like Collins Hope and the lifeguards, and then families. My title of my presentation at AOAP every year is like creating a safer culture around water. Yeah, and that's what it is. And I when I in my session, I always say like everyone, if it's a patron that walks into a pool. They're part of the creating that culture. If it's the lifeguard, if it's the manager, if it's the kid, everyone, we all have to get in the pool together is the analogy that I use. But I really think that that is true. And I do think in our lifetime, since we're the same age, that we will see, I think we'll see the shift. I mean, I'd love to say we will end drowning. I mean, that's a great vision to have. I mean, 
I'm real I'm realistic that I don't know if that will ever happen, but I think we can move the needle and we can prevent so many drownings. Absolutely. And where where I think the conversation also needs to go is looking at Not just the people who were coming to AOAP, but the places they oh. work. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I was listening to Bill talk when he came to Austin mm-hmm. a year and a half ago or whatever it was, and y'all were retooling the um, the presentation some, was I was sitting next to Don Crowley from UT. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who took Kim Tyson's place. Yep. And I was like, sounds just like country club lifeguarding. You know, mm-hmm. it's the guy who runs the country club isn't in the aquatic business, he's in the golf business. Mm-hmm. And he's maybe in the restaurant business. And that pool is probably the bane of his existence. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we need to get them to think about not the pool's the bane of your existence, but that is an amenity that you need to run Take professionally. Care of. Yep. Running that is not an easy thing to do. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, let's just hire the 20-year-old lifeguard. Right. It's... You need to actually hire a manager, a professional, a professional mm-hmm. who will understand what that is. You know, the person who's running that is also hiring people who are 15 and 16 and 17, their first job. Right. You're trying to convince a kid who wants to play video games. And some of those kids are 15 going on 30, and some of those are like 15 going on 10. Mm-hmm. You got to take this seriously. Oh, oh yes. I, I just had a lifeguard in service that I did where... A, one of the 15 year olds was like 10. Uh, <laughs> like, the, also, the larger a system is, the harder it is mm-hmm. to run and the higher their drowning rates are. Because you've got your professional, you've got your you know, 30 year old, 40 year old running the system, but, and then you've got someone else underneath them. But at some point, the people at the pool are 20 years old mm-hmm. or less. The 40 year old running the system is, you typically don't have the 40 year old going to every pool. Right. And especially even if you are, you know, Kelly Martinez from AOAP, mm-hmm. she is out in Phoenix. She has to do two hours a week at the pools. This, this year they're not open, but like in a normal year at each pool, she's got like 14 pools. She's got half of their pool. So much of her job, like 28 hours of her job, is just sitting at a pool for two mm-hmm. hours, but then having to go to the next one. I, I would say that's probably, they're an outlier in terms of having someone of her stature visit each pool mm, like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're at, like, say, a water park, you may have 10 pools in the water park with catchment this mm-hmm. and that, but you're all on one site. So the person who's there gets to oversee everything. Right. When, you're, when you're just scattered everywhere, and city of Austin's a place that's scattered everywhere. It's it's harder to run a system like that. When you're an HOA, you're just like you're paying the 22-year-old to drive around in a truck to check on the 18-year-old pool manager and the 15-year-old lifeguard. Mm-hmm. Understanding where and, and how, to outreach, how to do outreach to some of those other areas mm-hmm. who aren't coming to AOAP, who aren't coming to PPPC, and going to, say, maybe go to a TRAPS conference and talk to the directors. Yep. I went to TRAPS this year. Did you? Mm-hmm. How was it? It was good. I mean, it was a smaller group, but it was the first time that I had been there. Yeah. And um, Jessica Burke invited me. That was that's one that I mean, I have my conference. I go on the conference circuit, and I feel like it's really important. And I and sure. this conversation is actually really helping me realize how important that is because yeah. 
you know, people will, will come to my session and they will hear Colin's story. And that brings a little bit of, there's some credibility that's right there. That is, I think I can reach, we can reach some of some people and provide them a resource then, even if it's an education resource for their, their um, patrons. I'm trying to think of what the word was, but there's so many segments around that are that are part of this equation yes. you know and it oh, is absolutely. that you know so so you know back to our hedgehog which is the parent and caregivers and children but then the 15 percent is the well it's probably more than 50 i think there's more than 100 percent in our our hedgehog model i think yeah. <laughs> maybe there's like 125 percent or something because i do feel like the aquatic professionals is a huge place for us to put some time so colin's round at a fitness club mm-hmm. and they're sort of an anomaly in the fitness club industry. I feel like in that they actually have an outdoor pool that has amenities to it. You can go and recreate, not just, it's not a six lap. lane lap mm-hmm. pool. Who was their aquatic director at the time? It was someone who was a program oriented, mm. you know, it, they were, it was an Olympic swimmer, I believe at the time. And I'm not, I'm not trying to name names and I'm not trying oh, to no, and I, I shade on her. Specifically, don't know a lot of those details because I chose to not know them because yeah. I feel like I could do my job better if I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but they were looking at, and, and you, this is part of the problem you see at the country club sometimes is they go, Oh, so-and-so is an elite level swimmer. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Pools are easy to run. Let's get the elite level swimmer to come run our programs for us. Mm-hmm. And no one's focusing on the water safety aspect. The elite level swimmers don't necessarily understand the water safety aspect of it. Not trying to uh, drop names here, but literally, this was, it was one of the most bizarre feelings ever. Is is the swimmer who died at World Championships Open Water? Um, Fran Crippen. Fran Crippen. Mm-hmm. Literally the day before Fran died, Pearsall's out at the pool, swimming masters with our group. I guess he had retired at that point. Mm-hmm. He used to show up sometimes. Sometimes even if he was like in season, but on a break mm-hmm. or something like that, he would come over. I would see him at Barton Springs every once in a while. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about how competitive swimmers make the worst lifeguard students. And you cannot, they can't be a drowning victim in a lifeguard class. Because if you're you're swimming at that level, you know how to just, with a very, just, an economy of movement, you know how to stay on top of the water. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I, I can't comprehend what it would be like to drown. And we had that conversation. I woke up the next morning mm, and wow. looked at my phone and Fran had passed. And I was like, holy crap. But that's the kind of people you're putting in in a lot of these systems is people who are program people who are who don't have the water safety mm-hmm. aspect of it and don't understand the water safety, mm-hmm. even if they've taken a lifeguard class. Yep. That's where I think sometimes we need to work it in. Yes. I, oh, and that's that, and that's kind I of love what how I've you been said sh- that is work it in. And that's kind of what so I was uh, asked by um, NRPA to get on one of their aquatic network calls a few months ago and there were 300 people on that zoom call i couldn't see them all but and it was it was to talk about water safety and colin's story and resources that colin's hope has and and i would jumped on it in one second because again it's there was the opportunity to all right right after that i had a woman from lewisville colorado who wanted to hand out water safety cards at their you know because the pool wasn't opening to do something around education and i do think that that just working our way into all those places. And I actually, we have right now our, our got to swim, which is usually a 10 K open water swim that we do in Lake Austin. 
we had to move that virtual also, which is a little scary because it's a source of revenue for us too. Yeah. And, and it's actually doing pretty well because I've got people signing up from all over the place now. But right now, three of the people that signed up are... I have to do a virtual option every year. At, well, we we are going to. Are you? Funny you should say nice. that. Yeah. Um, I do want to be back in Lake Austin at some point, but the virtual aspect has opened it up. I mean, my friend Bob Pratt, who used to run the Great Lakes Surf Rescue Project, he's in Arizona now, but he's swimming in Arizona and participating. And so that's been cool. But three of the people that just signed up for it are high school swimmers okay. who did our open water swim a couple of years ago, but now they swim for Lake Travis. They swim for a club. I, I'm not sure they switched clubs. I'm not sure where they swim, but they swim at my city of Lakeway pool. Um, and they have been, they're also lifeguards. Yeah. And so it's interesting because they're very engaged in drowning prevention and have that, like, because they're growing up with Collins Hope in yeah. their community, they're, they're looking at, yes, we're competitive swimmers, but I tell them Elise Cerami's story and Drennan's story. Yeah. And um, when I do those lifeguard in services or we talk about everyone to swim and the got to swim chooses to swim in honor or celebration of um, a child or someone that's part of the family's United to prevent drowning group or anyone else. And yeah. one of the swimmers, she chose um, Connor Gage, who is the um, drown in the lake. And she chose Elise Cerami and another one of the high school kids chose Drennan. And so they're they're getting that that whole no one is drown proof thing, yeah. Um, which I think is a major shift because you're right. Swimmers, competitive swimmers, often think that they're drown proof. Or I don't know if they always think they're drown proof, but they they don't comprehend not knowing, not how, to knowing swim, how to swim. And they don't comprehend. I remember Brendan Hansen saying that at one point in time we used to do some work with him, and he made that actual statement when we were talking one time. He's yeah. like why he was supporting Collins Hope at the time was because I just can't fathom yes. not being able to swim yeah. or not, or knowing, you know, not knowing just because I grew up being overchlorinated or trying to explain how to be a victim mm -hmm. to someone who is a high level competitive swimmer yep. is really hard because they just, they stay on top of the water and they never start to sink. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you would do, but if I told you to cross your feet, and just flap your arms and throw your head back. And I had you do that for a minute. Uh -huh. You're not conditioned to that. Now, you might actually be conditioned to that because you work out so much. But the average person, yeah. by the time a minute happens, they're like, this is starting to get really freaking yeah. tired. Yep. They're doing it with an economy of movement and staying up. And it looks graceful. And you're almost like, damn it. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And they're doing what you asked them to do. But they, they're so good at it. Well, a perfect example of that is the year that I did our eight-mile swim in Lake Austin, Brendan Hansen yeah. actually came and swam the last four miles with me. And at some point in time, he was doing, I think, the breaststroke backwards to try, you know, because I was swimming apparently very slow compared to his, you know, he was doing every random stroke yeah. possible and, and uh, not really getting tired at all. But, but I, I think you're, you're, I think you're right in that. It's just a, it's incomprehensible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, where Lori is going to do great with Elisa's mm -hmm. story is just making people understand that, yes, it can happen. And Yep. And I've worked and, a lot with, with her over the time yeah. since Elise passed away and, and talked with her a lot about on how to get the message heard. Yeah. And um, I don't remember Elise, but I know that I worked meets mm -hmm. that she swam. Yep. And 
And that story is just, I mean, I, the, every competitor, competitive swimmer needs to hear that story. And, you know, yeah. what, what Lori, I remember in the very, very soon after Elise drowned, and, and for if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, Elise Cerami drowned in during a swim practice, and, and it wasn't a lifeguarded swim practice, but it was a swim practice. Um, there wasn't a guard on duty. I don't remember if there was or not. There wasn't. But, okay. Um, but there was multiple coaches, and um, there were six kids in her lane, including her. Yeah. And she drowned within the first few minutes of practice, and no medical, nothing. Um, and one of the things that Lori, Elise's mom, in her mission with the Swim for Elise Foundation is wanting swimmers, competitive swimmers, to get trained as lifeguards, yes. even if they're not going to be lifeguards, yes. but to understand how to help a swimmer in trouble because yeah. those five other swimmers were in Elisa's lane and didn't notice her at the bottom of the pool and teaching them um, competitive swimmers to be more aware of what's happening in their lane. And yeah. I tell Elisa's story. I told Lori that I would. Um, that's, um, But I tell that her story in every presentation that I give to aquatic professionals and every swim team and every lifeguard um, situation because that was, you know, five people didn't recognize that, that she was – down there and at the bottom of the pool and swimmers I swim with them when I swim laps you know there's a lot going on in that but being more aware and she's trying to have competitive swimmers be more aware of and take care of each other and have that kind of thing sure. she's doing she's doing some really great great work yeah. and um and Elise's honor all right have we exhausted our topics? Well, I can do one thing, which is I would, you know, love for people to go to the Collins Hope website okay. and see what we have. We've got lots of resources. You were just telling me about a bunch of videos that mm -hmm. you were doing. Are those all on the website? They or? are. So they're under on our homepage. There's a resources tab, and it's under virtual family activities. We might change the name of that, but it, we have done. I think we're at number eighty-two, eighty-two broadcasts. So we did did okay. most of them did them live and they streamed on our Facebook and then we pull them off and we put them on the website and we put them on YouTube and they're everything from um, our teaching our lessons that are in the curriculum to the day that I went out to the lake for the first time during the pandemic when, and got in the water to swim. I saw all of these competitive swimmers who the pools were closed. So they were literally jumping in Lake Travis with no orange buoys behind them and no kayakers or anything out there for safety, just getting in, jumping off the cliffs in Lakeway and swimming. Yeah. And it caused me crazy panic because I know way too much about that water and, and about the rocks and about just difference of swimming in a pool versus open water and all that. And so yeah. we did, I did a broadcast on open water swimming safety and we sold a lot of those orange buoys that we partner with the international swimming hall of fame on the safer swimmer devices. And so there's topics around every everything okay. that are on there but there's like 80 different videos that are up there now so that's great we also have our online water safety quiz which we just went over eleven thousand people that have taken it and um it's 10 questions everything from don't leave a child unattended in the bathtub to how to get out of a rip current and everything in between okay and i worked with experts in each each category. So for example, there was a question around drain entrapment and I worked with the Zach foundation cause that's their thing. And I worked with um, Peter Davis helped me word the rip current question. So went into um, each question, you can't fail it. So you, if you get it wrong, it throws you a hint. And then if you get it wrong again, <laughs> it it's passes you on. But yeah. at the end you can, um, 
become a water guardian. That's you can print out a certificate. So a lot of our lifeguard um, groups, like Stephanie Daremont, when she was at Georgetown um, up there, she used to have all of her guards take the water safety quiz during their in service, and then they would print out the um, a water guardian certificates and put them all over the wall. And so when patrons came in, they saw just it was just a great thing. But we've yeah. had over eleven thousand people take it and share it on social media. Um, we've had all of a sudden we've had some coming in from India recently and I actually think that's Dr. Justin Semsrat um lifeguards without borders and star guard I do a lot of work with him and I think he has pushed it pushed the quiz on something that he did and and we've got we've got I think over 50 countries people have taken the quiz it's in English and Spanish so I'll challenge people to go um, take the quiz that's collinshope.org forward slash quiz but then we also have the virtual got to swim and we added a paddling component because usually when we do that swim, um, each swimmer has to have a a paddling water guardian next to them. So we don't want to leave those people out. So we've got that going on through September 1st and we're going to do a closing ceremony on September 2nd, which is Colin's birthday. And we've got our virtual kids triathlon and, but tons of resources. And um, we really have spent a lot of time in the content on the website. So that it is a good resource. And if someone has a question and they send it to us, I will figure it out or connect them with the right person. Nice. I mean, we spend a lot of time doing that. And if and any, you, you yeah. were early in on like trying to do videos and stuff like that. Cause I remember you brought one over to my pool yep. and taped my lifeguards. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, we didn't give you anything we could use. Yeah. It but, was... but it's, I believe in, I'm a, I like learning, but people have different learning styles yeah. and mine, I'm a visual learner. I'm a kinesthetic learner. And so reading something is not like the auditory, it's not always my thing, but if I can see it or do it or whatever. And so we, we started using video content and now we have so much video content. It's, yeah. it's great. Um, and it's, I think it just gives it in a different format and the easy people's attention spans these days are even getting shorter. With TikTok and their however many yeah. second videos. And yes. Stuff. What's the website again? Collinshope.org. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for asking me, Brian. It really was an honor to have you on here. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again sometime. Perfect. And um, you'll be at AOAP probably. If if they accept me, Julian, accept me. But um, is NDPA doing, have they opened up? NDPA just opened and that's going to be in San Diego. And then Um, TPPC I know is open. We'll be down in Galveston. Galveston. So you'll be at a conference somewhere. Are you I'll doing be, NRPA in the fall? Probably. And some of the, some of this depends upon budget. You know, we're trying to yeah. hang on here. But I will, you know, a lot of those are drivable. I mean, I guess I could drive to San Diego, too. That's not a bad I uh, was wondering if thing. I could drive to Reno. Oh, that one's, yeah. Yeah. Because I've not hit those states before. Right. Well, hey, it's, why not? So, Why yeah, not? Maybe. But But, um, yeah, I would love to close it out. So one of the things that Colin used to say was today, today was the best day ever. So that's kind of our thing. So I'll just close my piece out and just say, um, everyone listening, have the best day ever. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks to Alyssa Magram of Collins Hope for coming out and giving us a great conversation. If you're interested in the book she mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's Good to Great, Why Some Companies Make the Leap and Others Don't by Jim Collins. Looks to be the first in a series of books he put out uh, in the Good to Great series. And you can get that on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Also, all things Collins Hope, you can find at collinshope.org. Donate today if you can. Go check out their video library and their learning resources. 
Alyssa will be speaking at several conferences. So you'll be able to catch her at Association of Aquatic Professionals. That'll be in Reno in February. NDPA will be next year, probably early April. And then Texas Public Pool Council. If you're looking for a a quality conference at a, on a budget price, then check out the Texas Public Pool Conference. They're looking for speakers right now. They've reduced their fees, uh, anticipating lower budgets for 2021. And it'll be down in uh, historic Galveston, Texas. And we've got new leadership at TPPC. It's, it's a really exciting time. And so check out that conference if you don't think that you can make it to Reno, but you've still got a little bit of a travel budget there. And that's the podcast for this time. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.